Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Welcome to the Insomnia Project. Sit back, relax, and listen as we have a conversation about the mundane. One thing that we try to deliver is a conversation that's uh, less than fascinating so that you can just feel free to drift off. Thank you for joining us. We hope you will listen and sleep. I'm your host, Marco Timpano. Today's show is brought to you by BarkBox. That's right. If you have a pooch at home and you want to give them a little special treat, get BarkBox.com slash The Insomnia Project. And if you order a six or 12 month subscription, you'll get one month free. And you know that Nitty's a huge fan of it. For her pooch, Zena, who often makes an appearance on our show. But today's show, we have a special guest, Stephen Papadopoulos. Stephen, welcome to the show. Thank you. Stephen uh, is a friend of mine who is also a visual artist. And one of the great things, and one of the reasons why I was like, oh, I want to get Stephen on the show. I want to get you on the show. Is that um, I look at your art on Instagram. And if our listeners want to follow you at Spulos Art, S-P-U-L-O-S Art, they can see what you're working on yeah as well they can go to stephenpapadopoulos.ca and i'll put it on our show notes because that's a that's a long name yeah right it is, yeah <laughs> and uh, they can check out what you do great so Stephen, i wanted to ask you because your style is very unique mm-hmm. you use pens you kind of make lines first of all how would you describe this particular method of producing your art like well, what exactly does it entail and I know that art is a visual medium, so to ha- to explain it on a medium like pod- a podcast is a little unusual. But just to sort of set the tone of what what's around me, because we're in your studio right now. Yeah, I guess for me, a lot of the work is um, more about exploring abstraction, but also color. Uh, I really enjoy color theory. Um, so I explore those ideas within my work. Uh, the linear repetition are a lot of my my interests uh, within my body of work. There is a sort of quality to it that I look for in within the shapes. They kind of they kind of like they kind of come to life with not just the colors because you use vibrant colors, but this the would you say geometric shapes? Yeah, they would be geometric. Uh, they the shapes come out of uh, through layering process so i guess there's no end game to the work okay. initially i don't start with an idea a composition in my mind like some artists may do um whether it be figurative 
and knowing the placement of everything. I start with one simple shape at times or a sort of automatic sort of drawing. And through the layering process, it informs the next move. I see. In a sense. So I'll keep going until I guess the, the artwork is resolved in that sense. So you layer, when you talk about layering, you layer um, pen, pen lines, gesso, and acrylic paint on top of each other? Yes. And, you, and there's a process of sanding that as well, correct? With the acrylic gesso, uh, which gives it a sense of opacity uh, through the layering. So it's sort of a painstaking process of layering the clear gesso and sanding repeatedly. And the work through the layers will inform something next of I might see within the work. So it takes, a, sometimes it would take a lot of time to look and just sort of stare at the work uh, for hours and hours before I decide next of what to wow. create. I mean, to say it's impressive really doesn't do it justice. What's fascinating to me is the pen part of it. So right. you take a ballpoint pen, does it matter the ink color? No, <laughs> I, I usually use black ballpoint okay. pen. It has a, an interesting quality through the layering. It will tend to yellow or depending on how many layers or how I do it, it will even go like almost to purple. Mm -hmm. uh, when I do layer a color over top of that, it will even go sometimes green. Um, I found it more interesting than if I were to use red or a blue pen. I see. So it's just choice I guess just through that technique of using that pen now walk me through what the process is with the pen because it's hard hard for me to, des to, to describe it but basically it looks like multiple straight lines of pen marking mm -hmm. do you take a ruler is that what you I do? use a ruler okay and there's a certain energy that I use with it um, it's just repeated but I, I try to, there's, when I use the pen, I, oh, it's kind of sounds odd, but I do hear a noise with the pen. Right. Um, the back and forth motion, there's, there has been videos of me using it and you can hear it. And so for me, there's, there's a weight, um, in each line. So you can see within the work at times, uh, when I do, there's, it's a continuous motion and I, when it's sort of automatic at times, but then there's times where I make certain choices of like how thick I want each line, where I want thin, um, very similar to like gradation of right. some sort of like even drawing with pencil or uh, using a gradation from black to white. So I, I will continuously work on that until I feel that a pattern is sort of happening within the work. Right. It. I almost feel like there's... Uh, a transition that happens and almost um, kind of seeing like almost like a note of something like with a, it, like a musical note or a note as in uh, note or just even like a con the, within that contour of that line. I there's see. something that is more than just a re repetition of same lines. Right. Okay. I see what you're saying because you know, when I look at this piece in particular, the lines aren't spaced out equally they have some mm. distance and some lines are darker and so it looks like you may have pressed harder on the pen as you draw drew it towards you or away from you i don't know which exactly way you go. yeah 
so there's definitely that feel of like motion in, in the art that I see, but I'm no art, I'm no art <laughs> critic or no art expert, but there's certainly a vibrancy that comes out in your work. Do you finish the ink in a pen when you start your work? Like, have you ever exhausted a pen? Yes, it, that does happen. Um, and I don't mind that at all because what will happen, the reaction with that, uh, it, it, the color will actually start to change. So okay. the black through the layers, there's areas that will be when the ink was more prominent and there, uh, would be a lot more vibrant, but then when it starts to fade that ink, sure that ink will almost start to fade very fast within the work. I see. So it creates a, a very interesting quality to the body of work. Wow. A certain sensitivity that's really nice to the piece. Now, does it matter what pen you use? Is there a preferred pen that you like to use? A lot of my pens are actually dollar store pens. I see. Yeah. How great would it be if Montblanc sponsored your art and said, here's our pens, Use make art with our pens, and we'll give you the money to have a studio and do well, all that. It would be fantastic. Sure. But, I mean, really, it really depends on how good the pen is. Because well, the Mont Blanc pen is supposedly one of the best in the world, right? But some of them, if they bleed too much, the pen, it, it, it can get really frustrating. I've had pens just start bleeding and ink would pour out. Wow. Well, um, I'll, you know what? I'll put out this challenge to Mont Blanc if they want to sponsor you. Because their pens are like thousands of dollars. I right? don't think like, I've yeah. ever used one. Yeah, well, yeah. I'm sure once you and use it. And it's very aggressive. Yeah, well, listen. Right? Hey, so. listen. It's the best test for their pens to see if the Mont Blanc <laughs> pen lives up to your... Now, this is your own u unique art. Like, no one else does this that I know of, correct? You've, de you've developed a technique. I know a lot of artists develop techniques when they, when they work. But you've developed your own sort of technique here. Yeah. Is that safe to say? I think with the process, mm -hmm. um, it started way back in OCAD uh, when I was there. Which stands for the Ontario the College of Art and College Design. Art. I think it's OCAD U now. Mm -hmm. um, for, our, for our international listeners, they'll be like, what's OCAD? <laughs> yeah. Because we had my sister-in-law, Becca Barker, who teaches at NASCAD, right. which is the Nova Scotia. Yeah, Jeremy uh, went to NASCAD. Oh, yeah. oh maybe he, he knows. I'll have yeah. to talk to him. Yeah. yeah. She did an episode on um, rotoscoping. So okay. she, if you, if you listen to one of our past episodes, you can hear all about rotoscoping with Becca Barker and myself. All right. But right now we're talking to Stephen <laughs> Papadopoulos and I'm going to hazard to say that if our listeners want to purchase your art, they can, they can do it online too. Is I'm that safe I, to say. I am, uh, through Instagram if they want to direct message me mm -hmm. for potentially commission or visit the studio would be lovely. Oh, cool. Um, but also I have some work on Sachi online. Uh, oh, if, that's awesome. Yeah. So there's work there that's also up for purchase as well. So there you if, go. You know, people are interested in having a look. You can look on my website or Sachi online. And, and maybe we'll grab a couple of pictures and put it on our Instagram account as well so that they can see what great. we're talking about today. Yeah. How long does a piece like that take? Uh, I know that's such a benign or like basic question that I'm asking, but it's something that, you know, for the non-artist who goes to a museum and whatnot, and you look at a piece of work and you think, how long did it take to make that? I have the opportunity to actually ask an artist, how long did it take to make this piece in front of me? Well, it really depends on obviously with the range of the work and depending on what I would have. For me, it's more or less until I'm, I feel the painting is resolved. Mm -hmm. The emotion I get from it. I think... Agnes Martin, uh, 
artist, Agnes Martin. And one of the, the thing that struck a chord was what she said when I, I listened to actually one of her podcasts okay. or, or someone Shout from the tape. I think it was from the Guggenheim or, uh, anyway, the Agnes Martin said I, along lines. So don't quote me on this, but just said, um, whenever you have that feeling waking up in the morning and you're happy or, and you don't know why, right. You just, it's not a dream that you had. It's not, you're just happy. She's like, that's the true emotion of just that feeling that way. And she's like, that's kind of the emotion I look for in my art. So I guess in that same lines, when I'm creating a work, I don't, like I said, I don't really have an agenda necessarily what it's going to look like, the right. finished product. It's until I reach a, a certain point within the work that I'm like, it's done or I'm happy. Right. So it could take longer than the sum. Then, uh, so I can so, have so a very so small pieces piece. can be exactly the same in size, but one could take a short time. And one exactly. Could, I see. So sometimes I've, I've actually intended even to go further, further, mm -hmm. But I've looked at the piece and I'm like, it's done. It's done. So, and I'm happy with it. That's great that you can recognize when it's done. It can be challenging. Sure. Right? I've overworked a piece where okay. it's just no messed longer. up. Okay. Yeah, it just went too far. I pushed it too far. Right. Um, like this one. I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's a beautiful piece that actually my computer's sitting on. And I said to Steve, and, is it okay if my... And he's like, yeah, I sand on this piece. Well, actually, speaking of work and when it's finished, this this piece that, that your computer is on has been in this state for about two months. When will it be done? I, I'm still thinking about okay. when to start again. I guess it's an unfair question to ask an artist when when will the piece be done or how long it takes. It takes yeah. as long as it takes, right? Exactly. I mean, the, the, there is sometimes a deadline and you have to kind of work within that, but mm -hmm. I try to do what I can within that time frame. What does this art say about you? Um, that's a, that's a, actually a good question. I've never really thought, I, th I think like, I think you know, once in a while I hit on a good question. Yeah, no, <laughs> that's actually really good. I've never looked at it that way. Right. I think I've, I've always said, what does this art say about the art? Like mm -hmm. I looked at it that way, but so I think maybe the fair question is what would you like this art to say about you? I guess I, with there's certain there's a certain craftsmanship that I really appreciate with the work, and I think that's kind of you know uh, sort of not lost today in the art scene in the art world, but I really appreciate that element of craft. I mean, you know, you can look at this work and you know not see it right away in terms of the detail and everything, but there there's a love for the what I do. And there's an appreciation for what I do. And I think, and even the color, um, the vibrancy of the color, sure. the energy of the color, um, that I really am enthusiastic about when I create this work, like, I just want to see what it looks like. And I, I think I kind of want to share that, mm -hmm. you know, um, it's just that visual component that I, I like and that sort of, I want people to have that nice gaze towards the work. Oh, nice. They don't, they can interpret it however they want. Sure. I'm not trying to, I'm, there's an open narrative to the sense of it. Mm -hmm. I don't want them to look at the work and be like, this is what it means. They don't have to read into it so much. It's just this visual kind of response to it um, that I like. And to look and to, to be with a connection maybe, however they're connected to the work. Right. 
in that sense that I find that that's what I want to give because that's how I enjoy it. When I look at the work and I'm making it, I'm, I stare at it, right? I look at it continuously and I enjoy it. I touch the canvas. I, you know, smooth it out. Right. Even hand polish them. Your hands, um, are, your hands are all over the piece. Yeah. Uh, sometimes I wish like not even to be able to sometimes necessarily frame them. Right. I've, I've said to other artists, friends of mine, peers and whatever, like I almost wish I can keep it on the table and show it so they can pick it up and touch the work and lift it up. And, but of course that can be, you know, a gallery would not enjoy right. that. But I mean, that's why some of the works I hung on grommets, I thought I loved the idea of like, almost like flag, like even, you know, like old science anatomy posters. Sure you know, that you would see in a classroom, but just that kind of seeing the materiality of the work. So it goes beyond just making the composition. It's all about the actual piece itself, uh, whether they're on wood, how smooth, how the quality of the frame, it can go from that. So there's that craftsmanship that I want also to be a part of the work. So it's the piece as a whole that I'm, it's the, I guess, sort of uh, saying of, the painting is the object. Right. I'm not, you know, uh, you know, artists have said in a lot of abstract artists, like Malevich and all them, it's like, we're, we don't paint objects. We, the painting is the object. I see. And that's how I look at the body of work. So very similar to someone that's making an abstract sculpture, but instead I do painting. Mm -hmm. So that's how I kind of respond to the work. So whatever the dimension of the work is, that's how I work within that frame. Um, whether the painting will continue off to the sides or not, or that final product is that's the piece that cool. makes yeah, sense. it's it's pretty you know? it's pretty awesome. Do you name your pieces? Is my next question. At times, I do. Mm -hmm. it, it's kind of funny how the names come out. Uh, the names develop based on a lot of times. I don't like. I've called them composition number one, two, if sure. it's based on the same body of work. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it's based on the action. Uh, some pieces of, like I've titled them transition because they, you know, one of the works was in a show based on the idea of transition and what that word meant to the artist. So I, when I made that work specifically for that show, I kind of, the next body of work fit along that line. So I called them all transition number one. Transition, and there's been shift number one, shift number two. But sometimes a name will come from the work based on how I describe it. So there's been ones, you know, that, you know, the one with the orange square. Mm -hmm. And that's that piece there. But I kind of, I changed the name through it, but it was still the orange square. But I titled it because it's not actually a full square. I see. So it's orange square, I think 43.5 by 45.3. Because okay. that's the actual size. Size, I see. So, but that's how I would describe it to people. I'm like, oh, I'm still working on the orange square. So that would still exist in the title. Right. So that's generally how I come up with it. Sometimes I, I do, if it strikes me, and I've named one Blue Moon, because mm -hmm. of one of the pieces was, it was actually an orange moon, blue, orange moon, but the composition was mostly blue. I see. Everything was blue values, blue, blue, blue tones to it, and... So that's where I was just like kind of a cheeky title to it, but fun and 
you know, everybody understood, but Blue Moon, sure. right? So, I mean, it's not a major concern. I'd love to see your interpretation of insomnia in a painting. Speaking of color, mm-hmm. you use these colors, and what struck me with a lot of your pieces is the use of pink. Right. We were talking about that before. It was It's fascinating because you don't see pink in a lot of art as a predominant color. At least I don't. It's not the no. first thing that comes yeah. to me. Well, I think... And these greens, too. Like, you use these bright, bold colors. Well, uh, a lot of the colors that I choose are straight from the tube. Okay. Right? So not, you're not mixing them? Not, not about blending and mixing. I like the... the and idea. that's a choice you're making, right? It's a choice. When I see the color that I like, and I'll pick... Sometimes I'll just pick three colors that I'll want to work with. Okay. And it's at a random or... In a sense, sometimes there's been like because there's been those pigments in my studio that I need to kind of use up or oh. get rid of, so I'll see what happens to them by putting them together. And there's an interesting that, uh, like, I guess a color code that will happen that you don't normally see. You know, people are so used to the basic colors of the color wheel and and, and or you know, red and green together, or whatnot, or and that's it's more complex than that in a sense like if you want to get really in depth with it but i think for me it's more about just kind of just the curiosity of these two colors being next to each other which no one won't see uh with brown and pink for example i've done a piece and over there where it's brown and pink i thought it was kind of neat to kind of put those colors interesting to kind of put them and how they worked right it's just uh for me i i find those are the kind of playful mm-hmm things that I really enjoy well, to, to have that the ability to do as an artist that's what I enjoy it's like practicing all the time right right and finding those little fun things that I can try out I don't want it to be so straightforward I in, see and my approach yeah I'm curious because for example the piece that you call orange square to me does not look like an orange square right it looks like a brown square it it actually reminds me of a shroud of some right. sort like a faded old shroud that's what the first thing that struck me about that particular piece. So it's, okay. it's fascinating. Like I find it curious and fascinating how there is the use of bold colors in your artwork mm-hmm. and how they came about and the fact that you use them straight from the tube and you don't mix because you want this effect. Yeah. And this feeling. Yeah, absolutely. And it's sometimes like the, my process is it and going back to mixing, it, it kind of mixes within its layers. Uh, the color will tend to change, uh, lighten, darken, based on the layers. And, and then it will also optically mix next to the color that it's with. So that's another thing, you know. Um, there's a vibration that will happen. If you put, like, certain greens next to a, a red, mm-hmm. it will start to vibrate. Or a blue next to a red, it will start to vibrate. So there it creates that. So there's, right. a, like, going into it, it's very complex with color theory. And it will, you know. But I think that's one of those things that... I don't, for me, I'm, I'd rather see those elements happening than mixing paint physically together to make a color. Wow. Right? What has surprised you the most about this technique of art that you've developed? For me, it, what, it's this, I guess a bit of it is this sort of alchemy towards the work, what happens over time sometimes or through this process and how. I guess for me, like when I, you know, originally started as a figurative, figurative artist, it was so straightforward, right? And how I worked, you know, I would work with oil paint, 
you know, either I had a model photograph or, you know, and it was representational. It was what the end result would be that for this work that I do, I, it's this not knowing, right. That I find very fascinating with mm-hmm. it. And, and this process that happens, I almost don't know. And I'm kind of insecure. Like, am I going to screw this up? Right. Like, is something bad going to happen? Right. And then it, and at times it has, but I continue to work or work with it or I've discarded it for a while and I've gone back to it. So there's something about this body of work that it's, it's kind of intimidating or scary at times, but it's encouraging to keep going. And then when you, you kept going at it, you see the end result and you're like, I'm so glad I almost discarded that. Right. Right. Or almost got rid of it because that's why sometimes when you're, you're, you can be insecure when you create artwork, it's scary. It's like, mm-hmm. you know, and then you have to show it. It's like walking into a room naked with a bunch of people. Right. It's, so I think that's where, you know, it can be kind of daunting in that sense. And, and that's why with this process, I, I just kind of like that feeling of not knowing what's going to totally happen to it and seeing something come out of that. That's pretty cool. Is it you know, addictive? That, is it because it looks like the pen, like just doing the, is it Zen? Is it addictive? Is there, it, is it, uh, well, for me at times it can be because, uh, you know, I'll have my headphones on okay, and I'll be listening to like jazz music or, um, even some, you know, like acid jazzy music right. and I'll just like, and I'll be just in that zone and I'll keep working. But then there's times where it's just become really difficult because of, like I almost get carpal tunnel sure. from repetitive movement and like numb in my hands. But it's, there is a definitely a meditative quality. I think by doing that and then stepping back and looking at the work, there's that other quality of meditative. And then you're really looking at the lines because I, sometimes I get so immersed in it and I'm not even really paying attention to what I'm doing. And then I'll step away and I'm like, oh, and then I'll just stare at it for a while. And that has happened in when I've shown, like shown them my work right. and people have just stared at it and they walk back and they walk forward and they walk back and it draws them in. And that's kind of the same reaction I have to my own work. So it's nice to see that. When you see someone doing that, standing back and moving closer, yeah. how does that make you feel as an artist? It's kind of, it's nice. And I absolutely, I like people engaging with the work. I mean, that's the kind of the, I think, the, the why I do what I do is that engagement, right? With, with art. That's the beauty of it. That's the fun part of it, right? It's to be able to have like, be even you know some some art can be a form of just entertainment sure uh some art can be just more a form of just like being able to stare at like something like you would like a landscape right you know or looking at the sunset right it can be that kind of poetic but i think you know it's just whatever it may be for someone but that's the whole point i think a lot of the reasoning for some of the visual arts not all art sure. some could be an educational process sure. and, and what it might be in, in contemporary art but I think, you know, for what I do, I think, you know, um, is that engagement with it and to kind of see something that you might have not recognized before or feel something that you might have not felt before or, you know, there could be a number of things. Well, speaking of engaging, Stephen, I want to thank you for making this particular episode very engaging. 
You're welcome. As we come to the end, if you'd like to see Stephen Papadopoulos' work, you can go to at Spulos Art, at S-P-U-L-O-S Art, and we'll have it in our show notes and take a look at his work. Uh, Stephen, I want to thank you for inviting me to your studio. This is the first time, no, this is the second time we've recorded a podcast in the studio, so thank you for that. You're welcome. Thank you. As always, The Insomnia Project is produced by Drumcast Productions. This particular episode was sponsored by BarkBox. Go to BarkBox.com slash The Insomnia Project. And until next time. <laughs>